Our Father and our God, it is promises. Promises on which we have built our lives. Promises that are eternal and everlasting. Promises that reflect the good character of God. Promises that have never been broken. Promises that are more real than the emotions that we sense day in and day out as we battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are a people, O oh God, who, are found, who have founded our lives on promises. Promises that you have made to us. Promises that you have kept. kept and promises that you will keep. And, oh God, I pray that you might root your people's feet of faith in some of those promises all over again today. Might we walk out of here with a firm conviction that this is not all there is. There's more. In fact, this is only the preparation for the eternal. This is the temporal that prepares us for the eternal. And, oh, God, it is that to which one eye is cut. From your people, we have one eye cut on heaven because it's there where our citizenship lies. We're aliens here. We're pilgrims here. But there. It's there that we're citizens. It's there where our king resides. It's there where our whole hope is fixed. And so, oh, God, as we gather as your people today to worship, Remind us. Remind us who we are. And remind us whose we are. Our Father, we thank you for a week that is set aside where we can remember that, um, that this church is not about us. It's about something far grander and far bigger. It's not about the preacher and it's not about the elders and it's not about the buildings and it's not about the reputation. It's about the kingdom. The kingdom of God. And so, O oh, Heavenly Father, grant us fresh fullness from your Spirit that we might accomplish that which would please you. That which is flesh is flesh, and it profits nothing. And so, Father, grant us, not only that we now live by your Spirit, might we also walk by your Spirit. Lead us, Father, into victory upon victory as we seek to serve the risen Christ. Father, we come now to a time where we get the privilege of giving. It is now our, the opportunity that we can tangibly express that we trust you for our financial future, and we can also say that we would rather sacrifice for your kingdom than have something new ourselves. We've tired of gadgetry, O oh Lord. We're now oh so eager to invest in that which is eternal. So take these monies, every dime of them, and use them for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Part of the reasons that I like to, um, to have a guest speaker in here is because I want him to meet you. I, I want the people that I love to meet the people that I love. And I want you to meet the people that I so esteem and so respect. And this man is certainly one of them may not know his name like I know his name. You may not have read his books like I've read his books. I've showed them to you over the past couple of weeks. And I have a sneaky suspicion that you're going to want to buy uh, some of those books now, uh, or at least after this service. Richard Pratt um, it teaches at Reformed Seminary. Uh, that's just part of what he does. He is heading up a ministry called Third Mill, or Third Millennium, that is trying to reach the Arab world. 
And ladies and gentlemen, um, somebody better reach the Arab world or they're, um, they're going to continue to cause the kind of trouble that we see in the newspaper every day. My friends, I can only uh, tell you that it's a privilege to have Richard Pratt here. Um, I hope that you will say hello before he leaves, but right now we get the privilege of hearing him preach. Richard. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, you'll want to turn to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah chapter 52. And as you turn, just let me tell you, I was here last night for Grace Venture, and those of you that were involved in that, way to go. I go to lots of churches, I mean lots of churches, and you know, you always have to be polite and tell them it was a pleasure to be there and things like that, but... Sometimes that's truer than other times. And I am so deeply encouraged by your church that it would have the kind of vision that it has. I know a lot of that comes from the pastoral staff and from the elders, but it also comes from you. If you don't know about Grace Venture, it is a lay-run ministry in this church. The vision is coming and the feet are coming from you. Not just from the preacher and not just from the paid staff or even from the elders for that matter, but from you. And that is so encouraging, I just don't know what to tell you. Especially when I hear you constantly referring to the grace venture that is reaching out to the world in the name of Christ in terms of a theme that Christians just don't talk about much anymore. And that is the theme of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. I've heard that phrase here more this weekend than I think I've heard it in the last six months, except for my voice. Way to go, Jimmy. The kingdom of God. In fact, last night when I walked in, there were these railroad lights flashing and everybody had all these um, railroad caps and things. My dad worked on the railroad, so that was very meaningful to me. I'm going to steal one of those caps, maybe. And, but it was, <laughs> the theme of the night was Kingdom Express. Kingdom Express. A train taking us to the kingdom of God. And what a wonderful thing. And I just want to say to you that you have already ministered to me more than I can possibly tell you. And now we're going to look to the word of God together and we're going to seek his face, reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, beginning with verse 5. Hear now the word of God. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord, for my people have been taken away for nothing. And those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, 
we have heard words now from your prophet who spoke so long ago. How can they be words that speak to us today? How can they come to us when they come from so, so long ago? Only if you send your spirit to us now. Only if he comes to open our eyes and unstop our ears and soften our hearts. And so we pray, send your spirit to us that we may hear you speak and that we may serve you more faithfully because of what you have said. Amen. I want to ask you to do something. Would you think for just a minute about something that you've seen recently or something that you've heard about recently that was so beautiful, I mean so beautiful, it took your breath away. It was so beautiful you just didn't even know what to say about it. Just astounding. Can you think about what that might have been? Something you heard about, something you saw. I'm sure that there are lots of, lots of things going through your heads, and I'm sure that there are different things going in different people's minds. Something so beautiful it took your breath away. Maybe you're thinking about a sunset. Maybe you're thinking about the beach. Maybe you're thinking about a person you saw. Maybe you're thinking about a concert you heard or some good thing that somebody told you about. But you know something I would be willing to guess that hardly anyone in here thought to themselves, I know what's breathtakingly beautiful to me. It was when I heard somebody talk about the good news of the kingdom of God. I would dare to say that very few people in this room thought those thoughts. Even after we just read this passage. Where, the, where Isaiah the prophet says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, gospel. And who say to Zion, Your God reigns, kingdom of God. Good news about the kingdom of God. It took Isaiah's breath away. And even after hearing those words just a moment ago, our hearts and our minds don't go in that direction when we think of things that are beautiful. Why is that so? Maybe if we can understand what is in his heart, what's in his mind, as he says these words here, maybe we can begin to understand just why this church would say the kingdom of God is one of the most lovely, beautiful, exciting, and meaningful things we can talk about as followers of Christ. It's the most important thing you can live for as followers of Christ, even as Jesus himself said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Breathtakingly beautiful, this good news about the kingdom of our Jesus. What was going on in Isaiah's mind? What was he thinking about? Well, this verse, verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains, is actually sandwiched between other verses. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the verses that come before and then the verses that come after and then return to verse 7 to see why he thought that the good news of the kingdom of God was breathtakingly beautiful. Let's look at the verses that go first. Because here, the prophet tells us something Something we really probably don't even want to talk about much, but we have to. And that's an ugly truth, an ugly truth about the world we live in. Do you remember what he says? Verse 5. And now, what do I have here, declares the Lord, for my people have been taken away for nothing. And those who rule them mock 
declares the Lord. The prophet's talking about a time that's soon to come after his life when the people of God, the kingdom of God, these people are going to be taken out of their land, conquered by enemies, taken into exile. They're going to be destroyed. Many of them, most of them, in fact, die. And those who live are taken away and basically put into slavery with little hope with little positive in their lives. And he's thinking about those days, and he says, it's just an absolutely terrible, terrible future we're facing. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a family where my parents told me, if you don't have something good to say, just don't say anything. And I think that's a good thing to teach children, because you know how it is. If you have a million good things and one thing bad, what do you talk about and what do you think about? The bad thing. And that's the way it is. But the reality is, is that if we teach ourselves too much to ignore the ugly things of life, we can sometimes come to the point that we're just lying about life, lying about the world. Because this time that Isaiah is talking about, that time of the exile when things are going to be so problematic, so troubling, so hard, so evil, the New Testament tells us, That even though Jesus has come into this world, that time of the exile, that time of trouble, that time of ugliness has not yet gone away completely. The world is still in this condition. I'm a newsaholic, I have to admit it. You know, if there's a TV around, I want to watch the news. And if I haven't seen the news in a couple of days, I'm going crazy to know what's going on. Right now, I want to know what's happening with Jean down in Orlando, my home. And so I'm eager to know exactly what's going on. And if I've been away from a TV for several days, I just have got to see. So I remember one time being at a retreat where there were no TVs. And on the way to the airport, stopping at a friend's home. And there it was. There it was right there on the couch, the remote. My hand shook as I reached for it. And I said, do you mind if I watch the news? And he said to me, he said... Uh, we don't watch the news in our family. Uh, you don't do what? What was that? You don't watch, we don't watch the news. I said, why don't you watch the news? He said, too much bad news. And you know what he's talking about. Every time you turn on the TV and watch the news or read a newspaper, practically the only thing you read about is the ugly things of the world. Murder, stealing, political oppression... War, terror, it's all around us. The world in which we live is an ugly place. Now, we here in North America are largely insulated from all of that. Most of us, though we have problems, and I don't want to belittle those at all, we do have difficulties, we do have hardship in our lives. But by comparison with the rest of the world, do you realize we barely know the suffering of this world? We just barely understand what sin has done to this world. That we barely understand just what an ugly place this has become. But how do we begin to understand the world around us? And how do we begin to handle it? When you realize that as we have been sitting here in this room in this nice, comfortable, lovely sanctuary, air-conditioned, comfortable, padded pews, that as we sit here, literally, literally, tens of thousands of children have been abused by others. Literally. 
And literally, as we sit here in this comfortable place, tens of thousands of women have been violated by men in this world. And many of these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. How do you deal with a world that is that ugly? Well, let me tell you what unbelievers do. People without Christ. People who don't know the Savior. What they do is they decide to convince themselves, well, this is just the way the world is. This is just the way things have been. And you better just get used to it. Do you remember on a very popular level, you can see it. You remember the movie The Lion King? Do you remember that? And the theme song of The Lion King? The Circle of Life. Do you remember that? And you remember what that song is about? That's about how tiny little bugs are eaten by bigger bugs, and then small animals eat the big bugs, and then bigger animals devour the smaller animals, and then even bigger animals devour them, and then human beings eat those, and then big animals eat us. We all die, go down to the ground, and the little bugs start eating us again. And that's supposed to be the glorious, wondrous circle of life. That's no glorious, wondrous circle of life. That's a circle of death. But the world tries to convince us that this is the way God made the world. And that this is the way the world is supposed to be. We're even told by leading sociologists in this country that violence is simply natural for human beings. It's simply the way things are supposed to be. So long as you believe that... So long as you think that way about this world, so long as the ugliness of this world is colored over by saying, well, it's just the way things are. So long as you think that, you will never yearn for more. You will never yearn and dream of a better world. You will never look for the one who can give it to you. It's time for us to take another look at the world and realize it is an ugly place and to begin to yearn for the one who can transform it by building his kingdom here. It's no wonder, Isaiah said, how beautiful it is when somebody finally brings us some good news. Remember, verse 7 is sandwiched between these verses that go before and the verses that come after. Let's look at the verses that come after. Because here the prophet gives us a radically different view of the world. A radically different vision of this creation. Listen to what he says. We'll begin in verse 9. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. What a different view. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. One of the strangest things that's happened to Christianity is this, that when we hear verses like those, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and there are lots of verses in the Bible that talk that way, very militaristic and very much like a war is going on, and that God will have victory over his enemies and things like that. In the past, Christians actually thought that this could be accomplished by human armies, that human armies could accomplish bringing the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. 
And it really wasn't that long ago when people believed that. Maybe you'll remember that old battle hymn of the Republic. Do you remember that? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Think about that for just a minute. That was a theme song for a human army. Do you know which army? Do you know? Yeah, the Union Army during the American Civil War. That was their theme song. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, and we're it. He is trampling out the vengeance where the grapes of wrath are stored. It's on and on it goes. Talking about the Union Army as if it were the coming of the glory of God. Now, I hope everybody in this room is happy that the United States is a United States of America. I hope everyone in this room is happy that the African slave trade ended. I hope we are happy now with the outcome of the American Civil War. But I want to tell you one thing. The Union Army was not the coming of the glory of the Lord. That's obvious. You see, people actually believed that human armies could accomplish the will of God on this earth. And it's true that human armies do have a place in God's plan for justice and for righteousness, but they cannot bring the salvation of our God to the ends of the earth. can't be done. And so what have we done? We've turned our eyes away from human armies and we thought, well, maybe technology can do that for us. Yeah, if we just work hard and create the right kinds of medicines and the right kinds of social structures and the right kinds of politicians, they can do it for us. They can give us the dream. They can give us a vision again. They can bring this thing called the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. But time and again, time and again, they have failed and failed and failed and failed. So where are we now? You know where we are. You know where your neighbors are. You know where your culture is. We simply do not believe anything anymore. We do not hope anymore. We have no vision that God's salvation will come to the ends of the earth. We've simply given up. And now we are pessimistic, and now we are skeptical, and all we believe is that things are just going to be the same forever and ever and get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. If you ask most of your neighbors, what do you hope to get out of life? I mean, what does a human life really amount to? Do you know the kinds of things they're going to tell you? Most of your neighbors, most of your friends, they're going to tell you things like, well, I hope not to get divorced more than once. That would be good. And I hope that at least most of my children won't get hooked on drugs. That, that would be important for me as a human being. And, you know, I hope that my 401k really does well so that I can retire early. And then I can have a little bit of fun toward the end of my life and then die with just as little pain as possible. That is the height of the dream of most American people today as they think about what human existence is to be. Now, what do most Christians think? If you were to ask most Christians, you know, what do you hope to get out of life? What do you hope for as a human being? You know the kinds of things most Christians are going to say today? Because the pessimism has seeped into us too. The negativism has seeped into us, too. The skepticism has seeped into us, too. Do you know what they're going to say? Well, you know what I hope? 
I hope I won't get divorced more than once. And I hope that most of my children won't get hooked on drugs. And I hope that my 401k does well so I can retire early. And, you know, I really do want to die with as little pain as possible. That is our greatest hope. We have taken a Jesus, this King Jesus, that the Bible presents as the ruler of the world, the one who will have victory over evil, the one who has already had victory over death, and we take this good news about him and begin to make it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller so we can still believe in him. And do you know how that tiny little gospel message goes? It goes like this. If you come to Jesus, he'll forgive you of your sins and your soul will begin to sparkle. You'll begin to be a little happier in your life. And as your soul sparkles through your life because you've been forgiven of your sins when you die, you'll sprout wings and you'll fly away to heaven and you'll go to heaven and up there in heaven, you'll sing in choirs and you'll play golden harps forever. That's the gospel for us. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a choir? You know, choir practice is okay for a couple of hours, but I want to tell you something. Being in a choir forever doesn't sound like heaven to me. It sounds like the other side to me. Now, I like sparkling souls. I like happiness. And being forgiven of your sins is extremely important. And Jesus is the one to forgive you of your sins. If you come to him in faith, he will forgive you of your sins. And he will make your life a better life to live. But I want to tell you something. Jesus did not come here so that your soul might sparkle and your sprout wings and then fly away to heaven to sing in choirs forever. No! The Bible tells us that Jesus came to this earth to bring the salvation of our God to the ends of the earth. You and I must not give up on that dream. You and I must not give up on that vision. You and I must not lose sight of why our Jesus came. I have heard Christians say this so many times I can hardly believe it. Do you realize that Christian people are actually scared that Islam is going to win? We are terrified. Personally, I think we should stop calling them terrorists because Christians should not be terrified by them. We think, because we watch so much of this on television, we talk about it so much, we think that Muhammad is the one who is going to have the world in his hands. We believe that Islam is going to have the victory. Let me tell you something. Christianity in the United States may not be doing so well these days. We call church growth what is actually very often just simply sheep stealing, just trading sheep back and forth from one church to another. So, okay, in our backyard, Christianity is not doing all that well. But let me tell you some good news. The kingdom of Christ is doing just fine. People are coming to Christ and saving faith by the thousands in this world. The kingdom of God is doing extraordinarily well in places like Africa and in Asia and in South America. 
Yes, it may look to you as if Jesus has lost the battle for the world, but Jesus has not lost the battle for the world. Don't give up on the dream. If you have come to Jesus, you have come to the King of the universe, and He will bring the salvation of our God to the ends of the earth. Don't be afraid of them anymore. They are not going to win. You are going to win if you are in Christ. Jesus came not simply to make our souls sparkle. Jesus came to create a new heavens and a new earth. And as he tells us in the book of Revelation... To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit on my throne just as I have been given the right to sit on my Father's throne. And we will reign with him forever. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. That is our theme. That is our dream. That is our hope. And that is the vision that the prophet Isaiah gives us here. No wonder, he says, how beautiful when someone says something good, some good news about the kingdom of God. Do you remember verse 7? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns, the kingdom of God. This verse traumatized me as a child. Even as a young child, I thought that I was going to be something like a preacher or something like that. And I remember a revival preacher using this verse, talking about how beautiful the preacher's feet are, how beautiful the preacher's feet are. And my feet are about as ugly as a person could possibly imagine. Okay, my toes are about as long as my fingers, and it was that way from very young. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, I don't think I can be a preacher. My feet are too ugly. They're just way too ugly. I have one friend that always says to me, them feet's just too big, Richard, just too big. Too big and ugly, that is right. But, you know, that's not what this verse is saying. When it says, how beautiful are the feet, he's saying how breathtakingly beautiful it is when someone approaches, when someone comes toward us with a good news about the kingdom, the reign of God. And the image is one that was very common in the ancient world of the Bible. They would build cities on hills, but surrounding those cities would be high mountains, and the mountains would block the vision of the city, the people living in the city and marching on the walls, it would block their vision of the horizon. So they would put watchmen up on top of the mountains. Now, normally what the watchman would do is he would look over the horizon and he would see an enemy coming and he would turn and run to the edge of the mountain and begin to shout, bad news, bad news. The enemy's coming. Hurry up, get in the city, close the gates, prepare for war. It's terrible. And let me in too. That's what the watchman would normally say. But that's not Isaiah's vision here. Isaiah's vision is, listen, the watchmen are shouting good news. At a time when you feel threatened, at a time when you feel that all is lost, at a time when you feel like there's just no future for this world anymore, the watchman is shouting out good news, peace, salvation, your God reigns glad tidings of great joy. 
Everyone in this room who's come to Christ is like one of those watchmen. You've been put up on top of the mountain, and you have seen something over the horizon that the people back here in the city just can't see. The people who are still under the gloom, the people who are still in the darkness, they just can't see it. You have looked over the horizon, and you've seen something. What have you seen? You've seen a man who came to this earth 2,000 years ago and lived an absolutely perfect life. He was so perfect that he actually died under the judgment of God so that you and I would not have to. Now, that was perfect, if you ask me. What a gift. And more than this, this man, Jesus, was rewarded for being so perfect. And do you know what his reward was? He was raised from the dead. And he was lifted into heaven. And he was given a throne next to God, his Father. And from there, he reigns until all of his enemies are put under his feet And the end comes, and we reign with him. That is what you have seen. That is what you know to be true. That is what you know by faith to be the reality of the future. What good news you and I have, and how beautiful it is when we say to the world, we know the answer to the problem. We know the right way to go. We know how to fix things and to move them toward this consummation when Jesus will return and make all things new. Do you know how it's done? It is by proclaiming, by telling others, by moving forward with such aggression and with such zeal that we tell people we have good news. Our God reigns. This church is absolutely magnificent in the way that it has committed itself to self-denial and sacrificial giving for the sake of proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. It is absolutely magnificent. But I know that not all of you have caught that vision yet. Not all of you have realized, you know, there's something more important than my retirement. There's something more important than the things I can do on the weekends. There's something more important than making sure that my career is successful. And there is something much more important. You and I have given up on that important thing. You and I tend to rely upon governments, upon armies, upon technology, upon smart people to try to change the world. But we have the answer for the change of the world. And the answer is our King Jesus. And we need to become the people who are at the forefront of bringing the gospel not just to the easy places, not just next door, but to the most difficult, trying, and threatening places in this world. It used to be that people motivated Christians to do this by telling them, Jesus is coming back really soon. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. 
Or they try to motivate Christians by appealing to their hearts. Don't you care about people? Don't you care about people? Well, those are good motivations. And they're appropriate in their place. But I want to tell you why you should give sacrificially to the kingdom of God. I want to tell you why you should go on short-term missions for the kingdom of God. I want to tell you why in a group this size there are people who are being called to full-time missionary work. I want to tell you why you should do it. It's for this reason. Because God has ordained that his... His Son, Jesus, will rule over the world. And you are the ones who bear that message. And you are the ones who extend his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And if you are involved in extending that kingdom, your reward will be eternal. Give up your children to the kingdom of God. Give up your retirement to the kingdom of God. Give up your money to the kingdom of God. Give up your life to the kingdom of God. I ask you to think about something that was so beautiful it took your breath away. Can you see it? In a world that's dying right before our eyes, in a culture that is falling apart right before our eyes, we have the vision. We have the one who can transform the entire world. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who announce good tidings, who proclaim salvation. To say to Zion, your God reigns. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, how we adore you. We have no hope but in you. Expand our vision of that hope that we might see where our lives should be going, where our energy should be going. Give us, Lord, hearts that believe this so much we are willing to lay our lives down for it. For the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your glory, and for the sake of your people whom you bought with your precious blood. Amen.